Today we continue to look at Acts 2 as we study the symptoms of a spirit-filled church. God's ancient promise to fill his people with his spirit. The breath of life finds fullness in Pentecost. The marks of a spirit-filled church are put on full display in our passage. You can tell a tree by its fruit. As we read God's word, I invite you to focus specifically on both the means of grace, the spirit uses, and the fruit of gladness, generosity, and praise with flow from the hearts of God's spirit-filled people. Hear the word of the Lord. Acts 2, 42-47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Amen. I didn't use my glasses. Yes. Responsive reading. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What a great morning. Great to be back, Carl. Great to have you back. He was our first reader when we started doing readers in here. Uh, and it's just good to be back together as a church family, isn't it? Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've got a story time. Are y'all ready? Are y'all buckled up? We're going to do some ratting today. Just kidding. <laughs> um, we are going to uh, look at the book of Acts. So you don't have Bibles in front of you, but if you have them on your phones or you brought your own, I encourage you uh, to open up. We're going to continue looking at Pentecost, right? Acts 2, we were introduced to Pentecost last week uh, and what it looks like for the people of God to experience the fullness of the promises of God, to be filled with the Spirit of God. It completely changes absolutely everything. And as we head into this passage, I just want to reorient our hearts, okay? I'm going to say God is good. You say all the time. Can we just remind ourselves of the character of God real quick? God is good all the time. Can I hear you actually say that back to me like you mean it? God is good all the time. And we got to remember that. It's hard to hold on to. We're living in a very uh, unique season in our history. We have the largest uh, health pandemic in over 100 years in our country. We've got the largest economic crisis in my generation. We have the uh, largest amount of civil unrest since the 1960s. And by the way, all of that is happening at the same time. And so we've got to remember that the grid through which God has called us to look at the world, to interpret the world, is Scripture. 
we're very tempted to look at all of these current events, all the anxieties of our heart, and try to uh, translate them through things that are not the Word of God. I have grown in my appreciation for the depth and the beauty of God's Word. As I look out at our, at our culture today, specifically the last 10 days, just the, what, the, what is revealed of the social unrest, the wounds of our African-American brothers and sisters, uh, those that have felt oppressed for years, I, I have deep lamentation and a deep heart of personal repentance. And while I long to speak at length on this subject, what I want to do is point you to a few resources, and we are going to study Scripture, and we're going to let God's design for community, a Spirit-filled community, take us to a higher level hoping and praying, crying out with all the children in our congregation that God would help us to become the kind of community that we long to see. Let me give you some voices that I want to encourage you to listen to. First, uh, uh, these are books that I've read. It is definitely not the top 10 list of books you should read. I just only want to make suggestions out of books that I've read out of the past couple of years. Tabiti Anwabile is a pastor in New York City. He wrote a great book on three African-American leaders in our history. The first one's a guy named uh, Lemuel Haynes, first African-American reformed uh, preacher in the United States. Uh, The second guy in there is a guy named Daniel Payne, but then Francis Grimke is the third. He gets a little more contemporary. going to take you up to a a biography I want to recommend to you by Frederick Douglass. Easy to read, phenomenal picture. It's just simply called uh, Slave and Citizen. This is put out by Penguin, and it's very uh, enlightening. Uh, the, I, I recommended this book um, at the beginning of African American History Month. This book, these two books right here in regards to history. The first is called The Color of Compromise. It's, it's by uh, Jamar Tisby. If you want to experience deep conviction of a long historical perspective of race in the church, then I recommend this book. He goes all the way back uh, to the 1600s and decisions made by early Anglican leaders. Uh, Second, History, the Power of the Gospel, Steal Away Home. Several of you read this. The last time I recommended it, have texted me. Everybody who's read it loves it. It reads like a movie. So if you like watching movies, then you'll enjoy that book. Uh, This author here is a guy named Daniel Hill, and this is called White Awake. It's a journey of someone who realizes uh, how the color of their skin, being white, not only was an invisible hurdle to himself in understanding the gospel, but living in community of the body of Christ. It's pretty convicting, but it's done through the lens of a personal testimony. It's really good. Uh, Race and geography is something that not many people think about or understand, but if you read this book called Race in Place then you'd actually have a better understanding of why downtown looks the way it does. And when you go right across 37, 281, it's a completely different neighborhood, socioeconomically and racially. Race in place, it's a history, uh, of overview of history of um, different policies in our, country, in our country that have actually perpetuated some of the fruit with which we're um, dealing with now. Finally, I got to mention uh, John Perkins. He's a He's a, like a Moses figure in our country. This is kind of, he's a, you can watch him talk online. Uh, but this is a book called One Blood. It's kind of his final words on race to the church. And um, it's, really, it's a really good read. And you'll get it. But our, our hope today, we have a lot to learn from a lot of people. But our hope today is really that we learn from God's word. Speaking to us, I just long for the word to do the work. And to help us have a right grid 
to understand who God has called us to be, not to be influenced by any cultural grids, whether that's a media, whether it's political grid or socioeconomic grid or, or traditional grid, but to really allow the word to do the work to shape our hearts. You know, Acts 2 is, a, is about the birth of the church. It's a new era in salvation history. The Spirit fell on the church. And this had been prophesied for generations and generations throughout history. And it's the fulfillment of God's promises. And it puts on display a new humanity, a real new humanity. People who have, been, have the Spirit of God blown life into them. A new people. And that demands a new life, a new life together, a new love for one another and for the world. And it, what's really powerful, it's the fulfillment of God's promise. We've sung a lot about this morning. The wind blew, rushing wind of Pentecost. It takes us back to Ezekiel 37, the Old Testament picture of revival when Ezekiel prophesies over the valley of dry bones and they begin to come together, individuals returning to life. But as individuals, they come together as one man. And then we see the fire that comes from heaven that reminds us, as we just sang about the presence of God, Exodus 3, the burning bush with Moses. The fire reminds us of the faithfulness of God. All through the wilderness, you remember the pillar of fire that led God's people. The fire reminds us of Pentecost, of the consecrating nature of God. He sets apart his people. You'll remember Isaiah, when he was called as a prophet, the coals of the fire consecrated his lips, his heart, and then his life. And the falling of the Spirit is the fullness of God's promise on all of his people, all generations, all people that belong to the Lord. You hear about that in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and most specifically, Bob talked about it last week, in Joel. And as the Spirit of God falls on the church, remember the context. Verse 11, the church starts talking about the wonderful works of God. And then verse 14 to 41, we see how the Spirit of God fills the Word of God and just gives power. And then finally, we get to our passage, how we see the Spirit really enhances and edifies the people of God. We're going we're gonna to talk about kind of the fruit that comes, the symptoms. If you, if you have symptoms of something, you might have a virus. It's been, been some common language in our culture recently. If you've got certain symptoms, then you might need to check to see if you've got the virus. Well, if you have certain symptoms in your life as a church, then you might have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have these symptoms, then you might not have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 7, that you can tell a tree by its fruit. And we normally think of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. That's rightful. But here we see fruit, symptoms. When we're going to start at the end of the chapter and work our way up. The first thing that we see, if you look in verse 46, the end of 46, the early church, it says it received their food eating together with glad and generous hearts. Can you say glad and generous? Glad and generous. A spirit-filled church has glad hearts. What is a glad heart? A glad heart is a heart that is full. It's a heart that is free, wholehearted living that's at peace emotionally, peace circumstantially, no matter what's going on, and one that is at peace with the authority that is over it. 
A glad heart is, is not a happy heart. A happy heart is dependent on our circumstances. And when things are good, we're happy. When things are bad, we're mad. But if you're glad, it's inside from your heart. There is a settledness, a peace, no matter how tumultuous the winds and the waves are around us. They receive their food with a glad heart. Let's diagnose hearts a little bit. I don't know how you acted during the COVID-19 shelter and stay season. Clearly, some of you all are, uh, all of you are out now, right? But we're still practicing it on one level or another. But I'll tell you how I acted sometimes. When things felt out of control for me, I tried to control them. Why do people try to control circumstances, control their life? Because we don't trust the one who's in control. So I tried to control my eating. I tried to control my work and my productivity, and I fall into this unhealthy trap of identity that if I can actually produce, then I'm worth more. I try to control. My kids can't stand it when I try to control. They're going to leave really quickly after this, so you won't have a chance to ask them. But if you had a chance to ask them, then they would be able to tell you moments where my reactions were short because I felt out of control and I tried to control things. Don't trust the authority over you. But here's another thing. The other side of that is withdrawal. Now, I, I don't really have a problem with withdrawing. Some people say, well, you're an extrovert. You don't withdraw. You know, whatever. But even extroverts withdraw. You don't want to be vulnerable with other people. We don't want to trust other people. And there is this continuum, this, this spectrum, that if you are feeling out of control, you can, on the one hand, try to control things too much, or you withdraw because you don't trust who's in control and you don't trust anyone around you. And it's just easier pulling back here. Neither one of them will give you a glad heart. A glad heart comes when you trust the authority that is over you, that is God, and we'll see the word of God for the people of God. And then you trust in vulnerability the people who are around you. So you have this peace, this internal peace, knowing that while you're not in control of the world or anything that's happening in life, you know the one who's in control, you trust them because they're good all the time. But on the other hand, you have this ability to be vulnerable with people, sharing life with one another, not just having coffee, but really weaving the fabric of your existence together, intimate community. That's a glad heart. Now, Scripture's clear that gladness comes from the Lord. It was Elizabeth who, in the New Testament, is first to be described as a, a glad heart when she had a barren womb and the, Gabriel, uh, the, angel, the, Gabriel, and the angel promised her that she would give birth. And the life that was promised in her womb, the promise led to gladness. Luke chapter 1, verse 14. Gladness is something that supersedes circumstances. Later in Acts chapter 14, verse 17, we see that gladness is a characteristic of the church that's under persecution. In fact, when Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5 about disciples being persecuted, he says this before he says life's going to be hard as a Christian. He says, rejoice and be glad. You're going to be persecuted if you're a follower of me. Psalm 6.4 is clear that gladness comes from God. And Psalm 30 verse 11 puts it in more familiar terms. That the grace of God, the work of God, turns our mourning into dancing. You familiar with that verse? It takes off our rags and puts on garments of gladness and praise. Gladness is a heart posture. And I want to give you a little acronym that will help remind you how to be glad. That's right, the acronyms are back. It's good to be back, all right? G, 
glad. Give God all your heart. Don't partially give your heart to God. Give God everything. Trust his authority fully. You don't have to have all the answers. You can trust him. L, how do I do that, Mitchell? Let go of ways you cope. Feel your feelings. Stop medicating. Stop isolating. Stop insulating. Gladness it doesn't mean you remove yourself from sorrows. If you've ever sent your kid to college, you understand the tension. You're sorrowful, right? Oh, I hate to see him go. But you're glad. <laughs> They're going. It's, I'm excited for them, but I'm so sad. It doesn't mean we, we insulate, isolate, or medicate through our sadness. It means we face it wholeheartedly. And we do it by, A, applying the gospel to all of life. Amen to that. Crying out for the gospel. And we do, D, we do it in depending on Christ and his body. There is a dependency on God's people. You can't be glad in isolation, withdrawing. You can't be glad when you're trying to control everything. But you will find the flourishing of gladness when you're able to celebrate and rejoice in the authority of God and his design for life together in deep, deep fellowship. Second spirit-filled church symptom is a generous heart. So you can tell a tree by its fruit. Fruit's connected to branches. Branches are the actions of, of life. The, the trunk of the tree, the roots of the tree are the, are the identity of that tree, the nourishment, the spiritual uh, feeding of that. If you have symptoms of, of a sickness and you've probably got a virus inside of your body, there's bacteria or virus. I'm not sure how all that medically works. It doesn't matter. We're preaching the gospel. But you will have a generous heart if you're inspected, inf- infected by the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but people are not really accusing me of being generous. They're not saying, like, get away from me. That guy's, that guy's generous. I don't want that to be contagious with me. Generosity is fruit of a heart that has received the gospel. So here's what happens when, when the New Testament church from all over, we'll look at this in a second, all over the place, were filled with the Spirit of God. They had a new identity. The people of God belonged to Christ. They had a new primary community. They had a received identity so that they could freely give. We live in a world where people are exhausted from trying to create their own identity. Exhausted from trying to perform. Exhausted from trying to look good and have the best experiences and put them all over social media. Exhausted from trying to fight for something and act for something. And that's your identity. The gospel frees us from that and gives us a received identity so we can freely give to others. This is the paradigm Paul will use in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. If you have any encouragement in being united with Christ, one with Christ, new identity. Any fellowship with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, then make my joy complete, says Paul. Being of one mind, of the same Spirit and purpose. Don't consider yourself better than others. Don't consider yourself more highly than you ought, but consider Giving to others for their gain. Consider other people better than yourself. A generous heart is something that that comes from this new identity. The law of God written on our hearts, loving our neighbor as ourselves. How radical was their generosity? You say, Mitchell, that word generous is good, but how radical was it? Look with me at verse 45. We're going to work our way up now. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing all the proceeds as people had need. That's pretty generous. That's really generous. 
Here's what that's not saying. That's not saying that the early church had some savings, and when they saw need, they figured out what they could do with their savings and give and still feel comfortable, and then they helped everybody. This is saying, flat out, that they gave everything they had. And beyond that, they sold what they had so that other people who had needs could give. That's a biblical grid. If we hear that through a political grid or an economic grid, people will say, well, that's socialism, man. I don't, I don't lose socialism. But the normalcy of the body of Christ, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, there is a generosity that surpasses any political, economic, or experiential understanding. There's real justice. It's beautiful. But not only uh, that, uh, they weren't generous to everybody who was just like them. And this is often lost at Pentecost, the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. Now, we, uh, if you're like me, and you heard me say this last week, I'm very tempted to celebrate being created in God's image and then return the favor, create him in my image, right? White, middle class, God you know, speaks English. It wasn't until I got to college when I realized that el Dios se habla español también. Yeah. God speaks Spanish too. And the beauty of God's body is it's very, very diverse. How diverse does this passage teach us? Well, if you look back at Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, here's the diversity of the Bible. Did he just lick his hands in a COVID crisis? I was turning the page. I'm sorry. This is what he says. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, how, how diverse was it? They were amazed and astonished. Not all, are, are not all these speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own native language? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya that belong to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians. There's some names in here that sound like Star Wars characters. I mean, it's crazy diverse. But that's the community that is sharing diversity. Paul will say in Galatians 3 and Colossians 3 that we're all one in Christ. There's no slave, there's no free, there's no black, there's no right, there's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no rich, there's no poor. We're all one in Christ. So we have a common identity. And this comes from, this generosity comes from receiving the grace of God. Paul, uh, Paul Bob last week talked about the comeback of the church. It's a great sermon if you haven't had a chance to listen to it. But the biggest comeback, is Peter. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus. The rock who proved to be a sand pile. He was devastated in his brokenness. Devastated in his sin. And Jesus died to pay for it. He rose from the grave and then he went to meet with Peter on the beach. He fed him breakfast. He fed him grace. He gave him a new calling. And when a man comes to terms with his own sin and his own brokenness and meets his Savior face to face, your life is transformed. You can't help but to be filled with the Spirit of God and be generous with all you have. That the people of God, that the glory of God would expand. We have a new identity. And our eyes are taken off of ourselves. Peter, the first preacher. <laughs> Talk about a comeback. I mean, God wants to do that in us. I think he wants to do it in the church. Right now, today, in America. We need a comeback. We need a gospel comeback, don't we? Yeah, we do. I expect an amen. We're, we're finishing up. Last, simple, last symptom. The spirit-filled church 
has praise to God from our hearts. Back to the end of chapter 2, verse 47. Praising God. Glad heart, generous heart, praising God. You see, this praising God is a posture. It's fruit, but it comes from an action. We make choices of who we praise. Choose this day whom you're going to praise. Are you going to praise the God of our culture? Or are we going to stand? I mean, if you're like me, you're on a Zoom call. Like, How bad are our eyes on ourselves? When you're on a Zoom call, which box do you look at? <laughs> Yourself. And if you don't believe you look at yourself and everybody else does, then look at the other boxes. You'll see people fixing their hair and looking good, fixing things all around them. Because people, we're just obsessed with ourselves. But the posture, the decision, the action is to take our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on the Lord. To not close ourselves for protection, but open. And to live in vulnerability, trusting the authority of God and the people who are around us as a church. We're a people of promise. We don't have to be controlled. We're not a people of prediction. People get obsessed with predictions. What's going to happen? I don't know about you, but predictions drive me crazy sometimes. I got four, some cars with a lot of hail damage when there was no storm predicted. All right? So got six people in our house. Yeah, conviction there. All right, first world problem. Anyone? Table for one. Yeah. My point is that prediction leads us to want to control more. Promise. Leads to praise. We're a people of promise. And we walk forward in promise with confidence. Not your confidence, but God's confidence. How do we get there, Mitchell? This sounds good. I'm just going to try harder to be glad. I'm going to try harder to to be generous. I'm going to try harder to be praising. No, we don't do that. You see, that's part of a tree. Every fruit is on a branch. Every branch is on a trunk. Every trunk has roots. Every virus comes from something else. It's a host. Your body becomes a host. How do we nourish this kind of life? First, we have to ask the question. We go to the spirit-filled church as praise from God from hearts. Here's, here's the roots to get the fruit of what we long for. Real quick, back in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teaching a Bible. Devote ourselves to God's word. The apostles took the teaching of Jesus and they applied it to all of life. Do we devote ourselves to Jesus' teaching? To love our enemies? That the greatest among us is the least? That the real ruler in our midst is the servant of all? That blessed are the poor, the meek, those who are persecuted? Do we believe the teaching of Jesus that to find gain is to live in loss? That to find life is to die to ourselves? Devoted to the apostles' teaching. But secondly, devoted to fellowship, meeting together, life on life. I know we've got to practice social distancing, but I know that no amount of social distancing can replace the design of God for the people of God to participate in the lives of one another mutually. God's called us to that. We need each other. You need me. I need you. I'll let you down. You'll let me down. But we got the gospel. We show forgiveness. We experience forgiveness more from the Lord, and we move forward together. Finally, we devote ourselves to prayer and to giving, praying and sharing. That will nourish our hearts so that we can flourish with Holy Spirit fruit. Now, I've got questions and they're on the website. We're not going to have time to go through all the questions, but our desire in this, we don't want you just to come back to church and, hey, we engaged worship. It was awesome. It was fun. That was an experience. Now let's go out and live life. We long to empower 
your discipleship, your transformation and the transformation of your household, whether it's roommates, marriage, family. And we give questions that I give, put some questions here that we hope you take home and you go deep with. Because I'm telling you something, this world is not done changing. But we have an unchanging God who has a finished work. He is good all the time. And his unchanging word is the grid through which we must interpret reality and move forward together. Understanding and filling our hearts with the spirit that we can be glad no matter what, generous in everything and praising God until he comes again. And friends, he will come again. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, you're faithful. And we thank you for your design for the church. We thank you that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and we have a new identity in Christ and that we have a new uh, community in one another. You are steadfast. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to open the eyes of our hearts, that we might know you more fully, your word more fully, and serve you more faithfully, that our lives might abound more and more fruitfully with who you are, all you've done and designed us to be. Lord, I pray for our culture. I pray for our city. Lord, help us to be a people that lives the community that we long to see. Have mercy. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. In my heart, in this church, in this city, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.